John chapter number 11 in your Bibles tonight. John chapter number 11. And we're walking through the pages of the book of John, one chapter at a time, one verse at a time. And we're going to look at John 11 down through the end of the story of where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, there is a, a man who does archaeological digs or is involved in archaeology over in the Middle East. And I have been watching some of his videos in my preparation for uh, the trip to Israel that uh, our church, many of our, in our church are taking. And uh, he talked about uh, Lazarus' tomb, uh, tomb and talked about how there is no archaeological dig for Lazarus' tomb because the tomb was never buried in fact, uh, it has been held high as being the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And as history has gone along, uh, those who have uh, uh, known about this in that town have made sure to keep it open and keep people aware to it. You can't undig something that was never buried. And it is still known today as the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It's just accepted over there as a matter of fact event and uh, quite an amazing miracle. We're going to look at that miracle this evening, there's a lot of really good applications and truths that we pull from the passage tonight. John 11, verse 21 through 27 is where we'll start. Then we'll back up with verse number 1 when we get into the outline. If you have found that, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to do that, John 11 and verse number 21. The Bible says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The title of the sermon this evening is just simply this, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord God, help us tonight to glean those things from Scripture that will make us better Christians. And Lord, help us to um, put on our... Uh, Lord, our spiritual hats, our, our helmet of salvation, and Lord God, give us these truths tonight that go beyond our, our head and deep down into our heart. Lord God, we want to be like you. We gather here tonight, Lord, not for some vain reason. I believe that uh, if not everyone, almost everyone that's here tonight does so because they're sincere in their faith. And Lord God, their faith is of very much important, importance to each of us here tonight, Lord, we value the Bible. We care about what it says. So, Lord God, help us to get from it exactly what you have. Thank you for a book that's alive and active and powerful. Lord God, help us to experience its power this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, by way of introduction this evening, before we get into the narrative here, and uh, or John chapter 11, look with me at verse 25 again. Look with me at verse 25, and, and let's unpack these two verses. I believe these verses uh, contain some powerful truths that maybe deserve some of our time and attention just in the introduction. Look here, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, 
Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks Martha this question, Believest thou this? Now, uh, I cannot preach through John 11, 25 and 26, and not give the gospel message. I cannot do it, nor should I do it. The gospel message is right here, powerfully presented by Jesus in these verses. To those of you that are saved, let this be a water that washes over you as the gospel truth refreshes you. To those of you that don't know where you'll spend eternity, please listen intently. Give me your attention. Give me your mind. Because, uh, listen, uh, where you live today or where you live in 20 years or uh, how much money you amass or uh, 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 how wealthy you are when you die, none of that matters after you're dead. None of it. Where you spend eternity is the most important thing. I told uh, Ronaldo uh, in my house today, uh, we talked a long time about uh, eternal security, the fact that you can't lose your salvation. I looked at him and I said this, the day I got married was a big deal. And the day my son was born was a big deal. And the day my daughter was born was a big deal. She would say it was a bigger deal. Amen. I wouldn't say that, but anyway, uh, the day that uh, the day that I was voted in to be the pastor of this church, what for me was a big deal. But the day I got saved was the best day of my life. How many of you agree that the day you got saved was the best day of your life? And if you've not had that day, then you need a day. Now you don't need to remember the date. For me, it was April eighth, nineteen eighty-eight. You don't need to remember the date, but you do need to remember the situation and you need to remember the circumstances. You need to remember the where. You may not remember the when, but you need to remember the where. And if you don't have a where uh, that you got saved, then you need to get a where. You need to know the circumstances. I can tell you, I can take you to the very spot I was sitting in the auditorium of Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. In fact, I was there just a couple months ago. That was the spot. That was my where uh, when I accepted Christ as my Savior. If you don't have one of those, then listen intently to what I'm about to say, because your whole eternal destination can change based on what Jesus taught here in John 11. Now, here's what you need to understand. Each one of us are born in our sins. You were not born good and then corrupted by the world. No, you were born with the desire to sin. You were born with a slant towards sin. No one had to teach you how to lie. You were born knowing that already with a desire to do that. We call that the Adamic sin curse, or the sin curse we receive from Adam and Eve, who were the father and mother of all, and ate the fruit, and put all of us under a curse, a condemnation. And as a result, uh, we deserve eternal hellfire separated from God. Now, that's not popular to say. I would revert you back to my sermon this morning. There's a lot of things that are not popular to say, but uh, the Bible says that. In fact, in Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you commit one murder, you're a murderer. If you tell one lie, that would make you a liar. James 2, verse 10 says, If you break one point of the law... 
you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And imagine the Ten Commandments as a chain. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. You've stolen something or you've lied or uh, you've, uh, you, you've uh, uh, dishonored your parents or taken the name of, of the Lord thy God in vain. Then that chain is broken and you're guilty of breaking the whole law. And as a result, the Bible says that the punishment of sin is to be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. But the good news is that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. He was born through the womb of a virgin named Mary. He lived a perfect life. He was God incarnate. The word incarnate means in the flesh. Carne. Con carne would be the Spanish term with meat or of meat. And here we have God robed in flesh living amongst us, perfect in every way. At the age of 33, uh, they took Him, they beat Him, uh, they hung Him on a cross, He shed His blood, He became our sins, He died in order to pay the price of our great sin. And uh, we know that He did that so that He could take away our sin. But notice in verse 25, He calls Himself the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, up from the grave He arose. Amen? With a mighty triumph for His foes. He beat death. He beat the grave. He beat hell. And He beat the devil. He stood up and He won. And you know what? He holds in His hands the keys to the kingdom. He holds in His hands eternal life. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ offers life to those who will simply do one thing. Look back at verse 25. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at the prerequisite. He that believeth in Me. Not he that goes to a Catholic church, or he that goes to a Baptist church, or he that gets baptized as a baby, or he that uh, walks old ladies across the street, or, or he that is honest on his taxes, or he that is faithful to his wife, uh, or, he that, or she that is faithful to her husband. No, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, or dead in his sins, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Think about that uh, crook hanging up uh, next to Jesus on the cross, dying a sin of capital punishment. He had nothing good to offer. And when asked, uh, 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 rather while hanging there, he just simply looked at Jesus over to his left and he said, he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And because of his faith, not because of his religious background, not because of who his parents were, not because he was some good man. No, simply by his faith, he believed and he received the gift of eternal life. And so I ask you this evening, the way Jesus asked Martha at the end of verse 26, believest thou this? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that God has put a penalty called hellfire on your sin? Do you believe that Jesus came and died for you on the cross and rose again from the dead? Do you believe that He is the resurrection and the life? If you believe these things with all your heart, then you will have life and have it more abundantly. You will have eternal life. If you've never believed in Jesus, let me encourage you to follow the lead of so many here that have already done so, and simply bow your heart and uh, humbly ask Christ to forgive you. Listen, uh, there's no magical set of words that saves you. Please listen to me this evening. 
There's no magical prayer we pray. Uh, uh, it isn't that you have to pray after a preacher or be in a church. The reality is, is that you can be anywhere on planet earth. God is not looking for your location. He's looking for a heart condition. He's looking for you to humble your heart. Whether you're sitting in a prison cell or whether you're laying in a hospital bed, you may even be in some sort of a a bar. Uh, It does not matter where you are. God is looking for you to humble your heart and simply believe in Him for salvation. I think of the man there in the book of Luke who just simply beat his chest and said, Father, or rather be merciful to me, a sinner. I think of Peter sinking in the water who simply cried out the words, Lord, save me. I think of that thief on the cross that said, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Uh, Many people have prayed the prayer many different ways. God's not looking for some magical set of words. He's looking for your faith in Him alone. You understand this evening, you cannot get saved until you first understand that you are lost. Lost in your sin heading toward a devil's hell. Jesus wants to rescue you. He uh, depends on your faith. You must believe. Here's the way I explained it this afternoon. If I bought you a nice gift, and I came to your house on your birthday, Lucia is sitting down here front. You get to be a sermon illustration tonight, Lucia. Let's say it was Lucia's birthday, and I bought her a gift. And um, I went to the store and found out what she liked, and got her something nice, somewhere in the you know fifty to hundred dollar range, and put that in a box and wrapped that up, and and I came to uh, her house and I knocked on her door on her birthday, and big pastoral smile, and and she comes to the door and I say, Lucia, happy birthday! Oh, thank you, Pastor. Hey, listen, I brought you a gift for your birthday, and she says, All right, Pastor, here's forty dollars. I'd say, Well, hold on, no, it's a gift. You can't pay me for it. I paid for it. This is free. Oh, but pastor, I just can't take a gift. I'm going to have... I'll tell you what. I will not miss church for the next 365 days. I'd make that... I don't need you to do anything except do what? Receive the gift. God does not put prerequisites on eternal life. He just simply says, it's paid for. The gift of God is eternal life through or paid by Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid for it on the cross. Now, here it is. It's yours. There's only one thing you have to do to get it. You have to open up your hands and receive it. You have to trust that I didn't pack a bomb inside that box. And that I'm good-willed and that I'm giving you something that isn't a prank. How many of you have ever seen one of those uh, uh, peanut cans that have the spring snake on the inside, all right? And I mean, oh, this is great. You open up, and bow, there it is. Uh, this is not some prank. This is a goodwilled heart gift. And you know what? God, He sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price of your sin. Jesus rose from the grave, uh, uh, buying the gift of eternal life, and He offers it to you. And what God is waiting for you to do is open up your heart, trust His goodwill, trust what He did, believe He is the resurrection both for Himself and for you and for your soul, and He is the life, and if you'll just simply receive that gift. How do you do that? Well, how would you receive a gift? Let's say I had a gift for you, and it was in my office, and after church you wanted it. you just come up to me and say, Pastor, I know you have a gift for me in my office. Can you get it for me? God has a gift for you. He's just waiting for you to humble your heart and say, I believe that that gift is for me. And if you'll do that, you can experience what it means to have Jesus be 
your resurrection and your life. And I would encourage you before you leave here tonight to call on His name by faith alone. That is the most important decision that you can make. Now, uh, back in our text, John chapter number 11, this is the fifth I am declaration in John's gospel. Back in John 6.35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. In John 8.12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, verse 9, He declared, I am the door. In John chapter 10, verse 11, He declared, I am the good shepherd. And now we get to John 11, verse 25, and He declares, I am the resurrection and the life. We saw at the end of John chapter 10 that Christ had left Jerusalem and had gone to Bethabara, the headquarters of John the Baptist's ministry. Here Jesus was, uh, 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 there was a tension with Jesus and the high priests in Jerusalem uh, when word comes of Lazarus's sickness. Understand that Jesus is sort of uh, keeping his distance from those who desire to kill him. And now to go to the house of Lazarus, he has to go back and put himself in harm's way because Bethany, where Lazarus lived, is literally just a stone's throw away. Uh, not literally, but figuratively a stone's throw away uh, there from Jerusalem and would put him back in harm's way. John 11 gives us the account of the story. And oh, there are so many wonderful truths to be enjoyed in this great chapter, I propose that God allows and even plans, listen closely, for hardships and troubles in your life for the purpose of bringing glory to God and for the purpose of growing you, the believer. He brings hardships and troubles and heartbreak into your life for the purpose of bringing glory to God and growing you the believer, and we must learn to walk by faith. And instead of blaming God when hardships come, we must learn to trust that God is in control and knows what He is doing. Many of us do not experience the power of God in our life because we refuse to comply to our loving God and His desire to do great things through us. Oh, we're going to see this play out in the sermon this evening. Let's look at three truths in John 11 as we consider that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Did everybody receive a half-sheet uh, bulletin on the way in? All right, I think we got everybody covered here. Number one, notice the purpose of Lazarus's infirmity. The purpose of Lazarus's infirmity. Why is it that God allowed Lazarus to get sick uh, nigh unto death. Letter A, we see right in John chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, that it was to uh, glorify God's Son. Look with me at verse number 1. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary um, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet uh, with her hair, whose brother uh, Lazarus was sick, Therefore, and, and the author goes way out of his way to make sure we know who we're talking about here. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death. And I have this verse underlined in my Bible. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Some of you are going through a sickness right now. We're going through a hardship right now. 
And you wonder why God is allowing that. Here, Jesus plainly tells us why Lazarus has gotten sick. Look back at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When He had heard, therefore, that He was sick, He abode two days still in the same place where He was. Why did God allow Lazarus to get sick with an infirmity nigh unto death? Because the Lord tells us straight up right here that it was so that God would receive the glory. God would receive the glory and that the Son of God would be glorified thereby. I, I believe oftentimes when we hit hardships in life, our default is not to ask, how is this going to bring glory to God? Our default is to back up and complain and wonder, why me? Why me? Pray for my, um, my uh, sister Frances and her husband Josh. Many of you know they've experienced three miscarriages in the last year and a half. Their first miscarriage happened uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, my sister had to deliver a stillborn baby on the mission field in Fiji. Three miscarriages in such a short period of time. They'll be back in the States here in the next few months, and I'm not sharing anything that they haven't publicly shared in a missionary prayer letter, but pray for my sister and her husband. You say, Pastor Lejeune, why would God allow tragedy like this to strike Three times. And I have spent time on the phone with my sister and video calling my sister. And her faith is strong. But I can I tell you that while her faith is strong, her lip has had a quiver. And her eyes have shed many tears. And her heart has really struggled. She's thousands of miles away, literally on the other side of the globe, from her own mother and father and all of her sister, siblings, brothers and sisters who love her. So much. You say, Pastor, why would God allow that to happen? Oh, I don't know all the answers specifically, but I know this. God doesn't allow tragedy in our life except to bring glory and honor to His name. Glory to His name. So that God can be glorified. I, I'm going to keep preaching this and just keep preaching this. American Christians are guilty of believing that somehow God revolves around us as though somehow that He is there to serve us like uh, either a 911 operator or an emergency responder or a Santa Claus of sorts. No, my friend, you were not put on this planet for God to revolve around you. You were put on this planet so that you would revolve around God and bring glory and honor to His name. If evil happens to you and trouble comes your way and hardship and heartache hurts, but God can somehow use that to bring glory and honor to His name, then praise be to God because He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Why did God allow um, Lazarus to get sick? Well, we know that it wasn't for him to die. Yes, he's going to die in this chapter. Uh, no, it wasn't for him to die. Jesus says it's so that God would get the glory. Boy, it is sure a good day and a mature day in your Christian walk when you start looking at heartaches and hardships and trials and quit trying to figure out why God's being so mean to you and start saying, Lord, how are you going to get the glory through this uh, situation and this trial in my life? To glorify God's Son. What was the purpose 
of Lazarus' infirmity, not only was it to glorify God's Son, but let her be to grow Christ's disciples. To grow Christ's disciples. Now, before I get into letter B, I just want to share this. Um, as a pastor, one of the things that I do uh, oftentimes is uh, funerals. And it is a difficult thing to do, especially when I know well the person who has passed away. And we have some dear senior saints in our church who, over the last seven years, have gotten to be very close to and and uh, deeply love. And i got to be honest, the longer I pastor, the harder these funerals are going to be to do. And, and you wonder, uh, especially about young people who die, why? Why does it happen? We've had funerals here where I've uh, had uh, folks in this building who, uh, the casket laid out here, folks who are in their 40s and 50s, and, and they die suddenly. They, they die uh, surprisingly. There's no long-term illness. They, they're, they're, they're healthy one day, and they have a brain aneurysm, or they have a heart attack, or they die in an accident. And, and the next thing you know, family uh, tragedy struck, and families gathered in this room, and tears are flowing. And, and I stand up, and I do my very best to comfort a family that's just hurting and broken. And you know what? In that death, I'm given the opportunity to talk about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and uh, there's been a handful of funerals that just come racing back to mind where the Spirit of God just took over the room, and folks uh, are believing in Christ, uh, even oftentimes in tears, being saved, and uh, I remember uh, when Angel Kobe and our dear brother passed away, he was older, but uh, auditorium packed full, family sitting right over here in this section from Florida, and I preached the gospel, and almost all of them that sat over there raised their hand for salvation. The death of Angel, uh, which was an infirmity, yes, dying to death, but God allows these things to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Letter B, to grow Christ's disciples. Look with me at John 11, look at verse 7. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Now, his disciples don't want to go to Judea because Jesus just about got stoned the last time he was there. His disciples say to him, Master, the Jews of late uh, sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Hey, you're taking us in a hostile territory. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. And here Jesus is saying, listen, if you follow me, I am light. We'll walk in the day. We'll be fine. The people that seek to stone me, they walk in darkness. They stumble everywhere they go. Uh, you'll be fine. You'll be safe. Stick with the light. You'll be just fine. Look at verse 11. These things said he, and after that saith he unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken uh, of taking uh, of rest and sleep. Then saith Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Look at Thomas's response. And Thomas gets a lot of flack for not being present. Uh, when Jesus was resurrected and his doubting. But look how Thomas takes the lead here. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
He's willing at this point in his life, he's willing to follow Jesus into the mouth of the lion and he's willing to die. So, uh, to grow Christ's disciples. Now, from verse 7 down through 16, I see a handful of uh, ways in which we're challenged to grow. And I would encourage you, I gave you a section on your outline there called notes. I would encourage you to write some of these down here. How about this one? Fear of man versus fear of God. Fear of man versus fear of God. Look at verse number 7 of John chapter 11. Then saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Now, understand that Jesus is God, but he sees the need that Mary and Martha and Lazarus have. And Jesus, he fears the Father. He's, he's in awe of the Father. However, while his eyes are on heaven and the need there, his disciples, they're not looking at God and fearing God. They're looking at man and they're fearing man. We can't go back into Judea. We're going to be walking into harm's way. Uh, how can we do that? Now, uh, here, how is God trying to grow His disciples through this trial of Lazarus? He's trying to grow them by saying, take your eyes off of man and put your eyes on God and trust that if you'll just walk in the light, uh, then you won't stumble. You'll be just fine. How about this one? How about this point of growth for the disciples of Jesus? Earthly life. Versus eternal life. Earthly life versus eternal life. Look look down at verse number 9. These things saith he. After that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, how do you get earthly life and eternal life here? Jesus had the perspective of all of eternity. All right? And so for Jesus, Lazarus was not dead. Lazarus was just simply asleep. Now, if you walk into my bedroom at 2 a.m., I might shoot you. No, if you walk in my bedroom at 2 a.m., I don't, don't worry, you're not going to get shot. I, but uh, you walk in my bedroom at 2 a.m., you know what you're going to find me? You're going to find me unconscious. You might hear me snoring. Uh, you might, you might, but you're not going to see me moving. I'm going to be laying there completely unable to interact with you, especially if you're quiet. Uh, you may talk to me. I'm probably not going to talk back. I'm not one to talk in my sleep. Now, if you walk into other family members' rooms in my house, you may have a full-blown conversation with them while they're sleeping. You say, which family member would that be? Give me $20 after church. I'd be happy to tell you which one's talking in their sleep. Uh, but uh, you, what I'm getting at here is that when someone's asleep, they don't interact with others. And so for Jesus, he saw Lazarus, he's just sleeping. He's just sleeping. Because Jesus, again, had the eternal perspective of, uh, one, Lazarus, I'm going to raise him back to life. But two, even if he's laying in the ground and I don't wake him up uh, out, of the, out of his uh, uh, death, uh, he's alive in heaven. In fact, he's more alive in heaven than he's ever been. Have you ever stopped and thought about this? Maybe Lazarus didn't want to be woken up out of his death. He was in paradise. And he had to come back and live on this stinky earth. I wonder if he looked at, at Jesus and said, did you have to do it? I mean, I know why you did it, but really, you couldn't pick somebody. It had to be me. 
that you brought back. And uh, uh, Jesus saw Lazarus as asleep, whereas the disciples needed to hit Jesus to flatly say, He's dead. He's dead. And here's the application. Many of us Christians, we see things in the earthly instead of seeing things in the eternal. You have a loved one that died that's saved? Well, they're just sleeping in Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, their soul is alive more so than it's ever been. And, and we don't need to weep and grieve as those who have no hope. And by the way, when I see a soul, I see a soul. Uh, I need to see a person who is an eternal being. Eternal being. Those people who are un, uh, unkind to you. Maybe you have a boss at some point that fired you. Or you have a relative that took advantage of you. Or you have a neighbor that's uh, nasty in your direction. Or uh, maybe uh, you even have someone in traffic who's just selfish and piggish in their behavior. And, and, and you think, I can't stand that person. Understand that they have a soul that's eternal. That's going to spend either that eternity in heaven with God or in hell. Here, Jesus is trying to grow His disciples. He has a perspective of eternal life while they have a perspective of earthly life. How about this one? Man's power versus God's power. Look down at verse number 15. John chapter 11 and look at verse number 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there because if I had been there and let him die, all of you would have doubted me. All of you would have doubted me. Why? Did, look, Jesus could have gotten up right when he was told and not delayed his journey and walked straight into Bethany and sat by Lazarus' bedside and let him die. And then wait four days and raise him back from the dead. But you know what Jesus is saying here? If I had been there and let him die, all of you would have been begin to question me. And I want to ask you tonight, is your faith in man's power or is your faith in God's power? That's in essence what he's saying here is your faith still needs to grow. It needs to grow. One more for you. Courage versus cowardice. Look down at verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. And I wonder if Thomas wasn't uh, in tremoring or in fear or even shaking when he said that. Have any, I, I've never asked anybody this question before, so I may be putting myself out on a branch and I might fall and crash and hit the ground. How many of you here have ever had a difficult conversation with somebody and you were so intimidated to have it that your body began to shake and your voice began to quiver while you were talking to that person. Is anybody here? Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. Okay, I'm glad to hear that that happens to other people. And especially when I was younger and less confident of myself, cowardice would grip me. I mean, it would grip me to where the person who I was talking to probably thought, what is his problem? What is going on? 
and I'm shaking and I'm and I'm sweating and sweating in all the wrong places. But I'm sweating and, and I'm nervous and my hand, my palms are sweaty and my forehead is sweaty and, and and my voice is is tremoring because cowardice has gripped me. And Jesus says here, listen, you all, all you can think about is your own skin and how you might die following me back into Judea. You need to get some courage about you. Can I just say this to you tonight that if you take a gospel track out of your pocket and you hand it to that cashier, they're not going to bite you. They're not. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I have handed out thousands of them and I have never been bitten one time. Not once. Some of you look at me like you're just not quite believing me. You're not quite sure. I've talked about with Mike Tupic who is um, someone who would be more introverted in our church and uh, uh, Confederate Mike. He, he dresses up as a Confederate soldier and goes and does these reenactments. You know, Mike has a schedule where he goes to Cracker Barrel every week. And Mike, who's introverted, he walks around the restaurant and he gives out gospel tracts to everyone in the restaurant. He gives out gospel tracts to the staff. I'm waiting for him to come back and say to me that they kicked me out of the restaurant and told me never to come back. Uh, but that's not yet happened. And he goes to these Civil War reenactments and he passes out tracts to the civilians, and we don't know how many people are going to be in heaven one day just because of gospel tracts that were distributed by a man who labels himself as an introvert. And and here God is wanting to use you to proclaim a great message, but we're gripped by cowardice instead of being motivated by courage. And may God grow us. Why does God bring trials in our life. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to grow us in our, uh, uh, whether uh, we fear God or fear man. Whether we are focused on eternal life or our earthly life. Whether we're focused on God's power or man's power. Whether we're focused on cowardice or on courage. Uh, uh, number uh, one, the purpose of Lazarus's infirmity. Number two, the perception of Lazarus's family. The perception of Lazarus's family. Look at John chapter 11, and look at verse number 17. And I think I'm really going to touch uh, on something that where a lot of us live and thoughts that many of us have thought during trials. Look at 17. Then when Jesus came, He found uh, that uh, He had lain in the grave four days already. So Jesus delayed two days coming and clearly drug His feet in His journey. So when He arrived, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, just just very close. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Someone once said that a person's perception becomes their reality. How many of you know that to be true? A person's perception becomes their reality. And uh, th- these sisters were sorely disappointed that Jesus had not made it to their home prior to their brother's death. I can see them picking the fastest messenger that money can buy to run the word out to Jesus. And Jesus gets the word, the messenger comes back and lets uh, uh, reports back uh, his timeline. And they're thinking, okay, well, Jesus... He'll be here shortly. He'll, he'll come into the rescue. He'll heal Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus did not come. He, he delayed His coming. And the expectations they had placed on Jesus had gone unmet. Have you ever placed an expectation on God 
and found that left unmet and wondered why God didn't come through the way that you supposed He ought to? Now listen to me tonight. As we read the Gospels, we know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had served Jesus by giving Him a place to stay on multiple occasions. And they had fed Him. Um, Mary had taken ointment that was a year's salary in value. Imagine you had an ointment that was seventy dollars to $80,000 in value. And you broke that over the feet of this man. And where was Jesus to meet their need? They had followed Jesus. When the crowds followed Him, they had followed Jesus when the crowds had turned their back on Him. They were there for Jesus in His time of need. And where was Jesus for them during their time of need? Now, it's not fair because you know the end of the story. But they didn't know the end of the story. To them, Jesus was MIA, missing in action, at the most critical time of their life. In their time of their greatest need, Jesus had not come to their rescue. Their perception, their perception was their reality, and their perception was that Jesus had let them down. Have you ever felt maybe that God had let you down because some expectation you had went unmet? Letter A, we see Martha's intellectual need. Martha's intellectual need. Look with me down at verse number 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. You can almost hear the disappointment and frustration in Martha's words. If thou hadst been here. During my darkest hour, where were you when I needed you the most? And, and, and while she doesn't say that last part, boy, it sure is strongly implied that, that that's what she's getting at here. And she tries to soften uh, her, her statement a little uh, by, by adding in uh, that you can ask God, you can ask your Father, and He'll give thee whatever thou askest. Now, it seems to me that Martha's faith was shallow. Her understanding of who Jesus was, also shallow. Her understanding of what He was capable of doing. Again, shallow. Look at verse number 23. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 26. And whosoever liveth... And believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. Look at her response. She sidesteps his question. 
She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And I would respectfully say to Martha, that's not what he asked you. He didn't ask you if you believe that he was the Christ. He didn't ask you if you believe that he was the Son of God coming to the world. He asked you, do you believe that he can raise Lazarus again from the dead, that he is the resurrection and the life? Martha never doubted who Jesus was, but she did doubt what he could do. Oh, I hope you just heard what I just said. She never doubted who Jesus was, but she did doubt what he could do. Many people are just like Martha. They know that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sin, but they doubt the capacity of what Jesus is really able to do for them. I look around at you, and I look at me in the mirror, let me tell you a way I've been challenged at this conference over the last week. I need to start praying larger prayers. Because the Lord Jesus is capable of far more than oftentimes we give Him credit for. Martha, you've asked Jesus an intellectual question and He's met your intellectual need. He's capable of far more than you realize he can do. Letter A, Martha's intellectual need. Letter B, Mary's emotional need. Mary's emotional need. Look at John 11 and look at verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in her house, in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, look here, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Here's an interesting little fact about Mary. The, this Mary, Mary the sister of Martha and, and sister of Lazarus. Every time you find this Mary in Scripture, she's on her knees at the feet of Jesus worshiping. You cannot find this Mary in Scripture Anywhere but on her knees, worshiping Jesus. And here she is again on her knees, yet heartbroken. Heartbroken because her brother has died. She's still worshiping even though she's disappointed. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They say unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved them, loved him. Now Mary makes the same statement as Martha. But she does so from a different disposition. 
Now, here's how this story plays out in my own mind. And I believe that based on the way the, the passage is written, this is what uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to be led to think. I think Martha entered the presence of Jesus and stood at a distance with her shoulders squared and her arms crossed and said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And then softened it with a little bit of respect. Mary shows up, comes to the feet of Jesus and crumbles down on her knees and begins to weep and said, Lord... If thou wouldst have been here, my brother would still be alive. Both women make the same statement, but from a completely different disposition. Martha, listen to me. This is highly, highly important for for you to hear tonight. Martha had an intellectual need while Mary had an emotional need. Uh, Jesus met uh, each need, uh, uh, each need as they had them. Now, imagine if Jesus had broke down and wept when Martha's standing there with her arms crossed. And imagine if uh, Jesus would have met Martha's intellectual need with an emotional response. And imagine if Mary would have come and collapsed at the feet of Jesus on her knees crying, and Jesus would have stood there and lectured her about He is the resurrection and the life. Some of you here tonight, uh, you have some disappointments with God that are deeply buried, and you don't know why you were raised in a particular family, or you don't know why you had to deal with certain abuses in your life, and you don't know why a child had to pass, or you don't know why a spouse was taken from you, or you don't know why some hurt and some tragedy or some financial misfortune has come your way. And you've done your best to try to be respectful like Martha, but inwardly there's this intellectual battle where you're frustrated with God and you just don't really understand why you can let these things go and here's what I want to tell you tonight if you'll let God uh, have his way with you he will meet your intellectual need just as he did with Martha but can I tell you what happens with most most of us we cross our arms and rather we plug our ears and we won't even listen to what he has to say and because we've got our fingers in our ears and we're shutting out God That intellectual need can never be met. Others of you here, it's not an intellectual problem with you. Your hurt and disappointment with God comes down to an emotional pain where you feel that God has let you down in some way. And all of the logic and theological explanation and, and all, of the, uh, all of the sermons that you hear and the counseling meetings you go to and, and all of the Scripture verses that are parsed, they just don't meet that emotional need because you feel that God has let you down and you wonder how that could have happened. And I want to say to you tonight that the Lord Jesus also wants to meet your emotional need. You have to open up your heart and you have to let Him do that. Why is it that Jesus wept? Did He weep because Lazarus was dead? No. Because He knew what was about to happen. He delayed His coming because He wanted Lazarus to die so that these events could happen. But He also knew that in letting Lazarus die so that glory could be brought to the Son, He knew that Mary and Martha would hurt. And You know what Jesus did? He wept, not for Lazarus, He wept for Mary. And tonight I want to tell you that if you are grieving in your soul over some disappointment or pain or loss, the Lord Jesus weeps right alongside you. There's a groaning in His Spirit. 
some time ago in my prayer time, walking with the Lord alone, I, I felt a grieving in my, in my spirit over some tragedy that had struck a church member. It was a similar feeling that I've had inwardly when I have committed sin and grieved the Holy Spirit of God. And I had this thought. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't only grieve over sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit also grieves with us when we hurt. Maybe the Holy Spirit grieves when we're struggling and we're grieving. And He comes alongside and He helps us. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just wanted to pull the covers over your head and just cry half the day away? You ever had a time in your life where you just sat on the couch and you wept and you cried and you wept and you cried and you cried until there were no more tears? Do you know what means the most to you in those kind of times? When you have somebody come put their arm around you and they cry with you. They catch your tears on their shoulder and some of their tears fall on your shoulder. And they're crying because of how much they love you. I want to tell you today, we have a God who knows sorrow and He knows pain. And He wants to meet your need, whatever it is. We see the purpose of Lazarus' infirmity and the perception of Lazarus' family. Notice number three, the power of Lazarus' friend. And that friend is Jesus. The power of Lazarus' friend. We're about to experience the sixth miracle recorded in the book of John. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. This is a man who was dead and in the grave for four days. It was quite a miracle when Jesus healed the sight of the man who was born blind back in John 9. But now, he's going to up the ante. He, he's going to increase the, the, the magnificence of his miracles. He, he, he's going to show off the great power of God on an even greater level, on an even greater stage. Hear me out now, when God's full power is on display, oftentimes there is a human element to it. Let me say that again. Oftentimes when God's power is on display, oftentimes there is a human element to it. Letter A, notice our compliance required. Our compliance required. John chapter 11, look with me at verse number 37. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? The answer to that is yes, he could have. And they're, they're, they're wondering why he didn't. Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, groaning in himself, mourning along with Mary, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that, uh, that was dead, saith unto him, Lord... By this time, he stinketh. He hath, for he hath been dead four days. Can you hear the doubt here? <laughs> Come on. You, you want us to take the stone away? You're going to embarrass my brother. All right, listen. We, we, we embalmed, or rather, we, we covered him with perfumes and ointments. What we have left, Mary poured hers on your feet. And here we are. He's in the grave. And you want us to remove this stone. You're going to just turn this into a spectacle. And his stench is going to come out of this grave. What are you doing, Lord? Why are you doing this? Verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? 
Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. We'll finish the verse in a moment. What if they had refused to remove the stone? What if Martha would have put her foot down and said, No, do not remove that stone. Now, it is quite likely that Jesus would have never raised Lazarus from the dead if they had not been willing to remove the stone. Now, maybe he would have, but likely he would have left him in the grave over their unbelief and their doubt. Now, as we observe throughout Scripture, we can see God's reliance on man's compliance for his power to be put on display. God commanded Moses, build an ark out of gopher wood, pitch it within and without. And you know what? Because Noah complied, the power of God was on full display. Uh, mankind and all the animals were saved from the great uh, deluge, the great flood. Why? Because Noah, uh, uh, he did his part and God did his part. How about Moses? Can you see Moses standing on there on top of the rock there by the Red Sea? And God says, hey Moses, hold up that staff. And as Moses holds up the staff, the water parts. Moses did his part and as a result, God God's great power was on display and one of the most spectacular miracles in the whole Bible took place. How about Joshua? Joshua uh, prayed and the Lord caused the sun to stand still in the sky for 24 hours. Wow. Or how about the blowing of the trumpets at the wall of Jericho, right? What happened? The walls fell over. And by the way, they've done archaeological digs that have discovered the city of Jericho and the walls that crumbled. And just as the season of time was predicted, it's all right there, preserved in the earth. Just as the Bible says it happened, it happened. And you know how the walls fell? They complied. And because of their compliance, God's power was put on display. Elijah prayed and God sent down fire from heaven and then rained in the drought. All throughout the Bible and on into today, God is showing off His power, but He needs me and He needs you to put ourselves out there. He needs His children to get down on their knees and pray and call out from heaven, uh, call out to heaven for God to do great and mighty things. He needs His children to not only pray, but He needs his children to get in line and obey. And as we do these things, we open the door for God to do great and mighty things which we know not. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great, think about this now, great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What great miracle do you need in your life? What great powerful thing that would blow your mind do you need God to do? Oh, if you would only call upon the name of the Lord, He could do great and mighty things. Maybe God, listen to me now, maybe God has brought some challenging times in your life so that He can grow you. But if you're too carnal to see it, then you will limit what God wants to do. If you're too faithless to obey Him, you're too faithless to get on your knees and pray to Him, then very likely you will leave that hope in the tomb and you'll never see God's almighty hand. Our compliance is required. 
our compliance. They had to roll away the stone before Lazarus would be called out. And if they left the stone in place, what miracle would have been left unseen? And maybe God wants to do a miracle in your life. He's waiting for you to roll away the stone of unbelief, to roll away the stone of faithlessness, to roll away the stone of prayerlessness, to roll away the stone uh, that's blocking some great miracle that could be seen in your life. Letter A. We see our compliance required, letter B. We see His capability manifested. His capability manifested. Look at verse 41 and we read the climax of the story. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard Me. Oh, this is just beautiful. And I knew that Thou hearest Me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that Thou hast sent Me. Now before we get into the next verse here, remember the discussion back in John chapter number 10 when Jesus was debating with the Pharisees and things got hostile. Remember they asked Him, Who are you? Tell us plainly. And He said, I am of My Father whom ye know not. He says in verse 30 of John 10, I and My Father are one. We, uh, I, I manifest the works of the Father right before you and you say you don't understand. And so Jesus makes His entrance right back into Jerusalem with some of those Jews standing around watching and He calls out to the Father and says, now I don't need to pray. This isn't for me. I'm praying for those listening so that they can see me and you are on the same page. I already know what you're about to do through me. I already know how you're about to glorify me. But I'm doing this for all the doubters and all the naysayers. Look down with me uh, there at verse 43. And when he had, uh, had, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, both bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Jesus made sure to give his Father in heaven full credit. Now, when I was a young man, and I attended uh, Sunday school, uh, I had a Sunday school teacher, I think, correctly tell me that it was important that he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had just cried, come forth, all of the dead people buried in that would have all come walking out. That's the kind of power that he has. He had to be very specific to which corpse he was speaking to. That's the power that Jesus had. Do you need a miracle in your life today? Maybe it's a family member or friend who you think will never get saved. Maybe it's a sickness within your own body or that a loved one has. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained. Maybe it's a weak faith that is limiting your Christian life. Listen to me, church. We serve the God of the impossible. Luke one thirty seven. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mark 9.23 Jesus saith unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Luke 18.27 And he said... 
The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Maybe there's some stone that God has asked you to roll away. And in your discouragement and doubt, you have refused to pray and obey. Why don't you commit tonight to letting God meet your need? Why don't you commit tonight to meeting God where He is and rolling away those stones so God can do the impossible in your life? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you here tonight say, Pastor, I need God to do something mighty in my life. Pray for me that I'll roll the stone away so God can do something mighty. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I need God to do something mighty in my life. I, I need my faith to be strong. I need God to do something great. Pastor, please pray for me that God will help me to roll away that stone. Lord God, tonight, Your Spirit is working in this room. This is a powerful passage with powerful truths. And Lord, You bring these struggles in our life so that You can receive the glory because You are worthy of that. You bring these struggles in our life because You're trying to grow us through hardships and trials. Lord, help us to have a faith powerful enough to remove the stone so, Lord God, You can do the impossible in our lives. Lord God, help decisions to be made tonight that matter. And, Lord God, that last. Increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to believe that You are the God who does the impossible. In Jesus' name we pray.